0: A better way to do this, let me show you a better way, you don't have to be another face in the crowd. And we are live, welcome to episode 3260, 3260 of the Survival Podcast. And today's show is what would post empire America be like? What would it look like? What would it be like for the average person in America? Would, would where they live and what they do as a, a matter of their profession or what have you uh, have a lot to do with what it would be like? If you live in a rural area like Green Country Agroforestry said uh, that in post. Empire America, I would probably be sitting around with a pistol on my hip selling duck eggs and daylilies and trees. Hang on a second, I do that now. Would would that be the case? It might, it might not. The truth is, and I was trying to be incredibly truthful with my audience. We don't know. I'll start out where we'll come back to at the end, kind of setting and bookending things here. Empires have collapsed throughout the history of Civilization. As soon as we had civilization, as we think of it, we began to have empires rise and fall. And so we can look to the past and say, what did it look like when past empires fell? And we can say from from looking at history and understanding it doesn't always repeat, but it usually rhymes. We can make some assertions about what it might be like if the empire that is America that we know today falls. What would that look like? But there's a lot of different ways empires have fallen. Some have collapsed under their own weight, the Soviet Union recently. Some have been invaded and conquered by other empires that then seceded them. And so you have to ask, well, what does that look like? And that's where we'll begin our discussion today. But you also have to ask another question. Has it ever happened like this before? And the answer is no. The closest thing would be the Soviet Union because you need an empire in modern times with modern technology to make a clear analog, but the Soviet Union was a full-on communist nation that, while it had reached out and had some satellites out and vassals out and about, it didn't have its hooks into like seventy percent of the developed world the way that we do. It didn't have you know half of the half of the uh, of the nations in the world on its welfare goals. It pretty much had Eastern Europe. And it pretty much had Cuba, and that was really about it. And Cuba got hung out to dry, and Cuba's not really that important to the global economic stage. I'm not saying there's anything not important about the Cuban people, but to the world as a whole, Cuba's just not that significant. So we've never had that happen before. We've never had an empire collapse in a modern time with modern banking systems that was the world's reserve currency before. There's a lot of nevers happened before, along with always has happened before. So we need to think about that as we go through things today. We need to think about setting the stage of where we're coming from in this. Hey, Rachel. Rachel is in the chat. She's from Allentown. Hello from a former PA or here myself. Anyway, you know, we do need to think about, like, what can kick this off. And we'll get deeper into it in a minute. But I just want you to think about something very, very simple. The collapse of the internal welfare state for people that aren't really who we think of as welfare recipients, not people that are sponging off the state, people that work their whole lives, paid in their whole lives. I'm talking about the retired on our federal pension system. We don't call it that. We call it Social Security, and there's so much in Social Security, we kind of lose sight of the fact that the bulk of it is for federal pensions that were paid for by the people receiving it. We call that entitlements. I don't actually think that's a bad word. A lot of people do. It's not an entitlement. I deserve it. An entitlement would be what you deserve. That's what the word entit You are entitled to your Social Security payments in the form of a pension, but it can't keep happening because the design flaw existed from the beginning. In 1970, I'll check in. So just so I get my... Figures absolutely correct here. In 1970, we had 3.7 people working, paying into SSI for every one person receiving it. That was already like a bellwether that, hey, 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 this is not necessarily going to be okay. 3.7 to 1 is not exactly a robust Ponzi, and Social Security is a Ponzi. Right now, it's about 2.5 to 1. It's hard to find a current accurate figure because they haven't really made a good stab at this since the whole COVID thing began. We just, we're sweeping under the rug. The estimates prior to COVID would be that we would be down to 2.4 to 1 by 2030, with insolvency reached between 2034 and 2038. Governments has know, been known to be wrong and usually to their detriment, not... Not underestimating, not not overestimating, but underestimating problems. So everybody that's around today, unless you get hit by a gravel truck or you're you know you're in the last twilight of your life, you're probably going to see either the insolvency of Social Security, or you're going to see a complete retooling of Social Security with Great Whaling and National. That's just one thing. So with that in mind, remember starting out. It's happened before, and it's never happened before at the same time. And in just one area, we're, we're heading for a place where we will not be able to keep doing business as always. We just – the money's not there. All right. Before we get into this, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is KnifeKits.com. If you go to KnifeKits.com, you can get everything you need to build your own knives. All, you can do it all the way from scratch, raw materials. Buy, you know, blank steel, cut it or forge it however you want, uh, make and fabricate your handles. Or you can buy kind of pre-cut scales, kit knives, bolsters, pins, things like that. If you don't know how to do it, you can get yourself a book or a DVD that will help walk you through it. Plus, there's tons of stuff on Building Knives on YouTube. It's one of those things that can be a side hustle. It can be a hobby. It can become a full-time business. I know some people that make really decent side hustle money. They've just gotten really good at building mostly kit knives, but making them look really, really fantastic with fit, finish and form and making them truly unique. There's a lot of opportunity there. And then, you know, hey, maybe you just make a knife with your son or your grandson or your granddaughter or something like that and create a legacy, something, an heirloom to be handed down. And there's so many cool things that you can build yourself. Check it out today at KnifeKits.com. Next up, so you don't have to rely on your knife in a combat situation. Make sure that you're stocked up on ammo. Get on over to BulkAmmo.com today. You can stock up on all the common calibers, incredibly fast shipping, really great pricing, and they do a discount for members of the member support brigade. So that's yet another reason to join the MSB. They have sponsored us now for something like nine years, nine years. They're not. we got a lot of sponsors over a decade. They're not there, but they're, like, I think it'll be this summer that Dustin and his folks at BulkAmmo.com will have us sponsored for a decade. That's pretty incredible. They're great supporters of the show, so when you need to stock up on ammo, remember BulkAmmo.com, because they support the show that you care enough about to listen to on a regular basis, at least I hope so. Anyway, with that, let's get into this. Let's start off with, if you're going to have the collapse of Empire, and I guess for people that maybe didn't see the episode or listen to the episodes that I've done recently with CJ Kilmer on the end of empire and the potential for a national divorce. and, And that whole line of thoughts, we did two shows pretty close to each other. What do I mean by American empire and it's pending collapse? I don't mean the United States of America goes away. It doesn't necessitate secession or a national divorce or anything like that, though it could be part of it. That's why we discussed it. What I mean by a collapse of our empire is our global hegemony, our ability to dictate how things should be everywhere in the world, our ability to control others with a mix of what we call soft power and hard power. I mean the way that we have our tentacles extended from North America all across the globe, telling everybody everywhere how to live. I mean, the military presence that we have in hundreds of military bases all over the world, not on our own soil, right, Our idea of defense is pretty much to get in everybody's face and threaten to beat them up. That's not defense. Defense is like, I stay here, I mind my own business, you attack me, I kill you back. That's defense. I I, I put it on Twitter yesterday this way, like what we call defense in, in our, you know, as our department of defense and our military policy. Imagine that you were arrested because you punched somebody in the mouth for just simple assault. And you went before the judge and you said, but it was self-defense. He was a threat to me. And it turned out that witnesses had watched you walk across the street, walk up to this person, tap them on the shoulder, say some words to them, and then punch them in the face. But you said it was self-defense. You'd have a major uphill battle with that argument. So now turn the, the road into an ocean and the punch into dropping bombs. That's what we call defense in this country today. You cannot like that I'm saying that, but that's true. There's not a country in the last 70 years that's dropped bombs on more nations than us. And I defy you to prove that wrong. So when I say self-offense, Jason Smith says, yeah, that's a pretty good assertion there, Jason. Self-offense, right? We don't have self-defense, we have self-offense. And you could try to justify it with, well, if we didn't, like preemptive war, et cetera. And I don't want to debate that today. I just want to say, like, our ability to do that going away is one of the many things that I mean by the collapse of empire, the collapse of empire. So what are some of the flashpoints? Like, usually when you look at a nation that was an empire or group of nations that existed as an empire, and it collapsed. It, it's again, it's it's like going over the event horizon into a black hole. It's not instantly. And it's even though if it's gradually, then suddenly, there's still quite a bit of time in the suddenly unless you're reading about it 50 years after it happened. Right. And, but somewhere in there is what you would call a demarcation point, a demarcation, point, a demarcation point or a demarc for phone service to a house is that there's a box on the outside of your house. And on one side of that box, the line that comes in from outside from the phone company is in there. And on the other side, it cross connects to all the infrastructure in your house if you still have a landline phone. And if you want to, you can usually open that box pretty easily, but only one side opens, the side that's your customer service side or customer premise side, if you're dealing with uh, commercial operation. And you'll need a special tool they're not really hard to to crack into, but you need a special tool unless you get innovative to open the other side because that belongs to the phone company. So it's a demark, right? A demarcation point. This is this is the phone company shit, and this is the customer shit. Well, when empires collapse, there's usually a demarcation point where you can say it wasn't only this thing, but once this thing occurred, everything was then pushed into motion. And there was no going back, like all these other contributing factors were part of it. But if this thing hadn't happened, maybe it could have been reconglomerated or reassembled. So what might be a demarcation or potential group of demarcation points for the collapse of the American empire? Here's a few. And I'm going to I'm going to put it out there right now. Go ahead. And if you have one, put it in all caps as I'm going through this. So you don't have to wait till the end to catch up to me if you're behind a little bit, if you're in the live feed for what you think could be a demarcation point of the collapse of empire. I think one, and it might be the biggest and most most at risk one there is, because there are people that don't want us to be the global empire anymore. And that num that list of countries grows. Uh, even some of our allies, I, I think that while you haven't heard much about it, Germany's probably not real happy with us blowing up their freaking pipeline to, uh, to, uh, Russia yet, right now, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm starring all of these, um, comments in, in all caps. But I think loss of a reserve currency status of the world. If the dollar ceases to be the global reserve of currency, Right there, we have a massive hit to everything about Empire. We really do. And the reason it would be such a massive hit is our ability to just print money at will would cease to really matter. We could do it, but if we were using the money to bribe some foreign entity, would they would they care as much? Uh, and Ghoulie says Petrodollar. And that's kind of what I'm saying right now is – the petrodollar is how we enforce the global reserve currency status, sort of. But the reality is the reason the dollar is the global reserve currency is other countries choose to let it be that way. You can have small countries say we don't want it anymore. And you can say that was cause for invasion of nations like Libya. I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm saying it's not that clean cut, but, but you can resist a Libya for God's sakes. If you start having large significant nations like China, like India, like Russia uh, function together and say, we don't want to use the reserve status of the currency, then you've got a real problem. And there's, you know, there's some countries out there that maybe don't want it. Stan says reserve status allows us to tax the world, and it does. By having the global reserve currency status, By inflating our dollar, we can suck value from the existing money into the new money and tax the whole world. And that's something people, whenever we talk about inflation, it's a hidden tax on the American people. No, it's a hidden tax on everybody that uses the dollar. So when you lose that capacity to use soft power through money, some capacity of the ability to use hard power through military force because you're weakened in your financial position, and you lose the ability to tax the globe with inflation, or much of the globe with inflation. It's a serious blow to an empire who is built, let's be honest, most of America's power is built on soft power. As much as we've done wrong with our military around the world, we have, we have had more success with soft power and economic hitmen than we have ever had with military force. In fact, most of our military force that we have used since Vietnam has been an abject failure. Korea was an abject failure. It didn't have to be. Korea could have ended in two to three weeks and been over. We could have went across the parallel. We could have kicked the North Koreans halfway to the Yellow River, withdrew, and said, don't do that shit again. And we probably would have saved a lot of lives. And we probably would have had a much better ending to the Korean conflict. And I don't think North Korea would have just turned right back around and invaded us because they didn't after a three-year protracted war that drew, that drew the Chinese into it through the back door. So that was a failure. Vietnam was a failure. We there is no South Vietnam. That ends that discussion. The Gulf War we we saw is a huge victory, but all it did was set up the second Gulf War, which was a failure, and the the war in Afghanistan which was a abject failure. So we haven't gotten very far using military force. We've gotten there mostly with the dollar. And with our military force, the primary way we use military force to create vassals is we've given military equipment to other countries and armed them. And then they rely on us for training, resupply parts, et cetera. So you take away the reserve status of the dollar, you got a hard problem maintaining that. How about the inability to use that hard power because you can't muster troops. I know we'll real in state the draft. Draftees can only do so much for a military force. And the reality is in the past, when we've when we have drafted people into the military, even most of the draftees that turned up saw it as their civic duty. They didn't want to do it. They didn't volunteer. That's why they got drafted. But once they got drafted, they said, well, I am an American and I will do my duty. In many instances, it was to the folly. I'm back to Vietnam and I do not crap on Vietnam veterans. I have one of the most famous portraits commemorating the fallen in Vietnam that's ever been done on my wall right behind the camera. It's an older man with his hand on the Vietnam Memorial, seeing the reflections of his fallen brothers. But every single life that was lost in Vietnam, every single American life that was lost in Vietnam was wasted. It was wasted. Humanity has learned that lesson. The young people in America have learned that lesson. So you can only do so much with a draft right now. Plus, a vast majority of young men, and you can say whatever you want about women, too, women in the draft. That'll teach them ERA, right? Whatever. It doesn't matter. Men fight freaking wars. You know, and and will continue to be the primary war fighters. And most of the young men today don't qualify for service. I I'm in touch with a lot of NCOs in the military today, specifically the Army because that's my background. I was in the Army a long, long time ago for three years, so I know more about the Army than I do about the Marine Corps, or the Air Force, or whatever. But well, this is what I know about the Army. If you want a career as a, an enlisted rank in the Army. You are going to serve one of two things in your time coming up, somewhere between E5 and about E7. And if you don't do it, you ain't going to make it. And that is you're either going to go on the trail as a recruiter for two years or on the trail as a drill sergeant for a couple of years. And it used to be nobody wanted to be a recruiter, but, man, people really didn't want to be a drill sergeant. My contacts tell me right now people are volunteering to be drill sergeants to get that knocked out in their career because they do not want to ever be a recruiter in modern times. They're missing their recruiting uh, goals by more than the, the media is telling you. Oh, imagine that, because when, when you have people behind the scenes, they tell you what's really going on. And even the people that are willing to join, a lot of them can't join because of all these drugs we've given our kids. You know, all these mind-altering freaking drugs all these freaking like versions of speed and stuff for ADD and all. I don't know if you know this, but when a person's been prescribed those medications in childhood, they are ineligible for military service. They're fat. They're out of shape. They can't do enough push-ups. So if you can't muster a military of the size that we need to do the things that we need done to maintain this empire through some use of hard, hard force as well, because a lot of times it's not even that the hard force gets used. It's the idea that, let's say, when I was in school, if you screwed up bad enough, you could get sent to the dean and you could get your ass paddled. Now, I'm against this. I don't believe in hitting children. But I will tell you, almost nobody ever got it. The fact that it was there itself was dissuasive of the action that would cause it to happen. The fact that people fear our military causes them to often negotiate under soft power versus face hard power. Now, if you look at a military force that's half the size of what we have right now in a decade, and I think that's being generous, because who wants to join the military right now? Who wants to join the military right now? Uh, you know, I've always talked about my military service with mixed emotion and said I can't crap on it because I believe that it absolutely saved my life going into service when I did. that My life was on a downward trajectory. I was from a small coal town in Pennsylvania. I had no future. I didn't know what I wanted, and I had no opportunity. And I wasn't on the edge of going to jail, but I was on the edge of the edge. In other words, all I had to do was keep living the way I was living for another year or two, and I would have seen the inside of a state penitentiary most likely. And it 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 gave me purpose, and it gave me mission, and, like, I just can't crap on it. And so when people would say, Jack, would you do it again? I would always say, no, but if I was 17 again, I would do it again, because I know what it did for me. Well, I'm at a point now, over the last five years, where I wouldn't do it if I was 17. And if I wouldn't do it, the average 17-year-old isn't going to do it. You have to understand that it is a very rare person 17, 18 years of age, they can look at something like signing away their freedom, because a large part of when you serve in the military, you do, you sign your freedom away. You sign away a lot of rights. It's a rare person in the first place. Well, if that person feels like that they're not valued for it, that they're shit on for it, and that they're going to be misused for it instead of it actually being of service, well, that number just happens to go down. So I think that's another flashpoint. City, county, and state-level financial implosions. Well, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Half the major cities in the United States today are bankrupt. They're held together, cobbled together by just enough taxes and just enough federal redistribution of money. But inflation kills everybody, including eventually the state. We are going to see more and more, especially where it will happen first, because it's a great place to create class warfare and say it's not our fault. It's those people over there, pitchfork people, go kill the torch people, is pensions, city pensions, state pensions, county pensions, things like that will start to collapse. And they really will. And then from there, it just gets worse. And How many times can we have a bailout and how many cities can the federal government bail out, especially while the currency's value is being inflated away and the global reserve status of the dollar is dying? So I think that's a potential flashpoint. State sovereignty moves. Now, I think this is up to and including secession. But there are middle grounds. One thing that CJ and I didn't really talk about much during our discussion about a breakup of the country which I would see more in regions than red state, blue state is we didn't actually talk about what Marjorie Taylor Greene was talking about. Marjorie Taylor Greene was not talking about secession. If you read what she wrote and you read what she said, or listen to what she said since then, what she's actually talking about is the state sovereignty movement. It just wouldn't have got a lot of traction if she said it that way. What she's talking about is strength under the 10th amendment which, again, wouldn't have got the attention if she said it that way. That's why she said it the way she said it, to get attention, because like all Congress clowns, she's an attention whore. They're all attention whores, every friggin' one of them, even the ones I hate a little less than the other ones. But she's talking about, well, the military would still defend America. There'd still be a federal government. Everybody would still be part of the United States. So what she was really talking about was, a revocation of powers of the federal government, which would be done under a convention of the states. Now, if things get just shitty enough, that could happen. That could happen. What if there was a constitutional amendment that said, you know, other than absolute emergency defensive action, overseas military action has to be ratified by the states? That would be interesting. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying things could move in that direction. States simply withdrawing their consent of being governed by the union without actually leaving the union. States breaking into pieces and conglomerating with other states. So it's not possible under our Constitution, if the law is followed and if, if nobody gets away with it, does it anyway, for, let's say, um, eastern Washington to declare themselves East Washington. Not possible. Not possible. You know what is possible? absolutely is possible. East Washington joining Idaho. There's, It's never been done, but there's nothing that prevents that. Well, how many things like that can happen before the federal government starts to lose control internally? And if you don't have internal control, that's when your external control will go away because the people you're controlling externally just go, yeah, we don't want to do that anymore. We're just going to not listen to you. You've got your own shit to deal with. Think about it. What would be the best time? Imagine that you were being held hostage by two guys with guns, right? And the two guys with guns get into an argument, and the door's right over there, and they start shooting at each other, and they're not paying attention to you. What are you going to do? You can get the hell out the door if you have any brains. So, So those types of things could weaken the outer control enough with internal strife to be that catalyst point that kicks over. And in a lot of ways, that's what happened to the Soviet Union, a lot differently than it would here. What about agricultural collapse? Anybody pay attention? Anybody pay attention to what's going on with cattle and ticks right now? And I think it's spread as far west as, like, Kansas, something like that. There's this uh, Asian longhorn tick, and it bites the cattle, and the cattle get this parasite, and... The parasite then will kill not all the cattle, but some of the cattle, a lot of them, especially nursing mothers, uh, mothers carrying calves and calves that are still nursing. It's kind of a problem. And yeah, it's Asian longhorn tick. It comes from Asia. I guess that's racist to point out the geography where something came from. The bigger issue is the cattle that are infected with this that survive, become lifetime carriers of this parasite. And right now we have no treatment. That's just one. I don't think that'll completely decimate the beef industry or anything. I think that, you know, this Asian beetle or Asian tick that carries this disease exists in Asia. They have cows, but it's not exactly helpful to the situation. You guys know, I don't believe in the climate hysteria bullshit around CO2 itself, but we have created massive fluctuations in our climate. We have created deserts throughout our farmland, and we have no sense about, at a mass scale, restoring things with regenerative agriculture. We're all renegades in that space right now. Everybody doing it's a renegade. Thank God for them. But we don't have a plan to start changing these 40,000 acre plots of corn and beans and, 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 and grains and potatoes into grazing civil pasture land, which would actually fix the problem and still allow us to produce all the food that any vegan, vegetarian, or plant-based diet wanted. No, nope. no, nope. we're going to double down on what screwed everything up. Agricultural supply chain mechanisms, et cetera. We're wearing out our soils. There's lots of ways to fix it, but the people that are in charge aren't doing it or even really encouraging it, and the stuff they're doing is akin to putting a Band-Aid on a wound that's already gangrenous underneath it. So that that would become another issue that could go. How about the coming demographic bomb that we started out with? How long can we run a system where two-ish people work and pay a tax to support one person in their retirement with their retirement pension? How long can that go on? It can either not continue to go on or we have to cut the benefit to the retiree to the point where the retiree has to be allowed to work, which then competes for labor in the market at a time when that person just wanted to retire. You know, it's, there's a lot of things that could kick this off. Let's see. I'm going to look real quick at what people said. Fortress canine. How you doing? Joel says another world war definitely could end the empire. If you think about it, Germany and that the Axis was an empire. What ended it? World War II. Austria-Hungary was an empire World War I. The British Empire was, in effect, ended by World War I and World War II, even though Britain was on the victorious side. The emergence of the American Empire simply supplanted the British Empire, and the British were kind of like, we got our own problems. I'll tell you what, I really recommend to get an understanding of what I'm talking about there. Netflix has a series called The Crown. It's all about Queen Elizabeth and the royal family. You can hate the royal family. It's still worth watching, especially the first couple seasons, because it tracks the history of Great Britain from the time that Queen Elizabeth became queen up to modern day. And the history in it is fascinating. And all the crap that was going on in England that we never heard about, because what our problem is, Is very, very interesting. So another world war? Yeah. Closing all the bases in Europe, one step closer to that. I think that would be more of a symptom than a cause. Personally, I think if you start seeing the bases close, it's because we're folding. But it definitely would change the positioning. It would be retreating on the chessboard. And when you do that, you end up dead. You end up in checkmate. Uh, Economic collapse or loss of reserve currency status. We said that. And we've got some other stuff that I'll leave for the end. Remember, always, all caps, if you want me to know that you are making a comment for me to comment on or asking me a question. So moving on, let's look at the other side of this. What about potential blowback from the rest of the world? You know, we talked about um, your hostage takers starting to shoot at each other and you'd run away. Let's look at it a different way. Let's say that somebody was really abusive to you. And your children, let's say that the person was literally responsible for the death of one of your kids, but they were so strong that even though you wanted to, you knew you couldn't fight back. You knew all it would end up is getting you dead. And one day they come over to your house to be abusive to you again, and they trip on the freaking door uh, jam, fall down and hit their head, and they're laying there drooling on themselves. This person killed your kid. How tempted are you to pick a barbell up and crush their skull? I mean, I'm talking crack it like a coconut. Most people even if they wouldn't admit it, if the person that killed your child was laying in front of you drooling on themselves, but was likely to recover, you would take the opportunity to in the words of the coneheads to crunch to apply sufficient uh, pressure to their blunt skull in order to crush it. Do you not think there are people in the world that feel that way about us and might take our weakened state as a time to attack us from some vector in some way, not necessarily militarily, right? And see, people's natural emotions are coming out. You're one step closer says this wood chippers. Guy's drooling on stuff. I'll fire the wood tripper and drag his ass back there. If 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 you try to start coming to before you get in there, I'll put you back out. But see, that is the point. There are people around the world, some absolutely correct about it and some not so correct about it, that feel we, as in the United States, killed their children. They might feel the same way. Whether you think they should or not doesn't matter. And at a time when you're weakened There might be various vectors of attack. Some of them might be what we would call terrorism. Some of them might be military. Some of them just might be more subversive. Some, it might be the time to send in your operatives. Some, it might be time to just wrest away control. So there might be blowback from this. There usually is when an empire collapses, there's blowback, at least for some people. What about... The fact that that blowback could cascade another way. We've learned nothing from COVID. We've learned nothing from COVID. We learned, but we didn't, let me say, we didn't, it's not that we didn't learn. We didn't correct based on what we learned. So all of a sudden in the middle of COVID, supply lines shut down in China. The orange man saying it's the China virus, whatever. And China gets pissed off because China gets pissed off really easily. Saving face, honor, honor. When you're a totalitarian state, you can never look weak in front of your own people. So somebody says something you don't like, you have to call them out on it. And you have to say, here will be the consequences if you keep doing shit like this. And one of them was, be a shame if you guys didn't have any antibiotics because we rely on China for all of the freaking raw materials to make most of the antibiotics that we, we make for this country. We have no ability to, to 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 provide ourselves with sufficient quantities of antibiotics if China cuts us off. So and how many other things are there like that? Like we're building chip manufacturing facilities in this country now for computer chips, but this is a ten year process to get up to a point where a plant is producing high quality silicon chips. And even then, only about ten to fifteen percent of what they produce are the top quality chips you really need. Because when you bake silicon chips, it's like baking a cookie. They all come out a little bit different. So you bake a shitload of chips and then you test them and you classify them based on performance. So a lot of our technology needs, even if we can manufacture it here, we're still relying on it from somewhere else. So at a time when we're weak and might, some of those people just go, yeah, no more for you. No chips for you. Instead of no soup, right? They're They're, there absolutely is a potential for that. And again, we have not learned from this. We have not restored. I really thought one of the good things that would come out of the COVIDs, the restoration of American manufacturing production and raw materials has not even, there's not a blip fart been made different in it. Even the places where we're manufacturing here in this country, we're still relying on the same old, same old for the raw materials to come in. The biggest buildup, of industrial manufacturing in the United States is in the greater Southeast during the Trump administration in recent times, and it was mostly Chinese companies building here. And these Chinese companies own these production facilities. I know somebody that superintended the building of one of them. And they built them on top of capped gas wells on the Gulf of Mexico in Texas so they could tie into the capped gas wells that still produce enough so the factory can produce its own energy from the gas that's pulling straight out of the ground but it's owned by the Chinese and all of the material that it makes comes in from China. Yeah. So yeah, we might have some problems if the rest of the world perceives us as falling in weak and they want to push for some blowback. And we've made many of our allies fat, lazy, weak. Think about it this way. Now we're going to do another analogy. You go into a bar, you're a little scrawny guy. But you got four old boys with you, country boys and overalls that make me look like a little dude. You're feeling pretty safe about yourself. Somebody says, hey, feller, you might need to learn how to defend yourself, put a little bit of muscle weight on, you know. But if you always had your four Bubbas hanging out with you, you'd be like, I don't care. I can get all fat and lazy now. Bubba one, Bubba two, go get this dude and get him out of my face. We're the big bubba walking around inside the bar with a bunch of small, sniveling little wimps. They don't have to be, but they've chosen to be because we made their life easy. They're not worried about invasion because they think the United States will run to their aid. What happens when we're not there? Might some of their enemies strike? Might some of their own people revolt against them? What kind of, when you have an empire collapse, the rest of the world has a cascading effect that goes through it. So think about that. Now let's, what is it going to be like for the average person? What is it going to be like for you or for me? People, we don't play in global politics. I don't run a freaking, uh, importation company that brings in raw materials to make penicillin for Merck. I, we're just normal everyday people. I think in some ways it could be not much and in other ways it could be massive and more than likely it's going to be this huge adjustment and then a return to some sort of normalcy. And maybe we at that point we can actually use the term new normal without being stupid because the version of society of new normal is not normal. But maybe it could return to something that actually looks like normal. Like people actually talking to their neighbors again and relying on each other again. But if you think it will all be roses for anybody here, you're not in touch with reality. Most of us are just not in touch with how we hate the centralized system. So we turn our eye a little bit away from it with how much it benefits us. Or how much we rely on it even people that think of themselves as largely self-sufficient, I think will be impacted. Now, I think it'll actually be exactly the opposite of the Soviet Union. In the Soviet Union, when it collapsed, the people that most benefited were city dwellers because they had complete and total control up to a point, and then all of a sudden the free market to a large degree opened, and there was a rise of oligarchs, But all those oligarchs had to employ people. What's happened since then is the rural communities in the Soviet Union, well, Russia now, have declined massively. During the USSR period, if you were living in some little hamlet out on the countryside, you were often told, and thou shall stay where thy art." Only certain people were allowed to leave these rural communities to go, let's say, to Moscow to go to university. It was a small controlled number that were allowed to seek things outside of the countryside. Stay in your little dasha, grow your food. Because the Soviet Union knew we need a certain number of people there to feed the people in the cities. Kind of learned our lesson. We starved the Ukrainians of that there in Holodorma. But we also kind of suffered ourselves. So, yeah, we need to, like... Keep these people in place. Well, when the Soviet Union fell, a lot of young people fled into the cities. It's where all the excitement, the growth, the new opportunity was. Well, We've never had a thing other than the societal structure itself that made a young kid like Jack Spirko from the coal region of Pennsylvania not leave. Right? When I got out of the army, I just simply decided, you know what? I have a friend in Texas. I guess I'll get my car. I'll go live in Texas. And nobody stopped me. No problem. No problem. Wasn't like that in the Soviet Union. So I think we might have a converse effect. People moving, and I think it's already happening, right? And remember, collapses are long. They don't, you know, there's a point where everybody goes, oh, look, it just happened, but it was already coming. You should have been able to look. Now, I was too young, so I couldn't. But if you were an astute adult paying attention in 1980, You should have looked at the Soviet Union and said, less than a decade, decade and a half maximum, this thing's going to fall apart. Now, nobody did, because nobody wants to admit it, because everything was being, all the money was being made fighting the Cold War. So you can't admit that. But people knew. That's where we are. We're Soviet Union, 1982, 1983 right now. But that's why, and people in the Soviet Union already knew it was happening. They were already beginning to capitalize on it and position themselves for the next phase of things. And I think that's happening here. And I don't think it's much of a, the way we talk about it in the open. I think it's an underlying, uh, innate intelligence of humans going it just isn't right here anymore. I think maybe I need to go over here instead. And there's nothing that limits our movement, and the movement is in the exact opposite direction. So I think we can only learn so much from the Soviet Union there. Um, I think the big cities will suffer the most because it's where people most rely on the services provided by government. This whole idea that, well, it's all them red voters out there in the country, that's the welfare society. Brother, you ain't been to any of these big cities, if you believe that, and, and seen, you know, the projects and all of these people that are living. There's so many people that are living off other people living off the government in the, in this area. There are also the places where there are powder kegs, and we've already seen it as law enforcement retracts, they explode instantly. So if if there was no sheriff's department where I live for the next two weeks, There might be some petty theft and crime and stuff like that, but basically nothing would really happen. Even if the word got out, hey, the sheriffs are just not patrolling up in the area where Jack lives right now. Because what happens is the person that thinks I'm going to capitalize on this also says, well, there's dogs that bite up there. There's people that shoot people up there. There's people that have backhoes that won't even call the cops when they get back. And you can go up there and do that if you want to, but you're just going to disappear. Where in the cities, the instant the stabilization of state-based law enforcement is gone, it erupts. And you see it. The aftermath of every hurricane, you see it. Every natural disaster, you see it. If they don't immediately get, like, National Guard troops in place defending property, it all goes to shit in a heartbeat. None of these places outside here suffered under the black lives matter marches it was all the urban areas and the adjacent suburbs and i don't see why that would be any interest or any different going forward at all next um i think any and all pensions will be at risk i think private pensions holding stocks will be at risk um banks will be at risk it, when this happens, um, 401k plans, et cetera, you know, and those would be the best case scenarios, the safest place where you probably will keep your money. But the value may go down drastically. OK, but when I'm saying pensions, I'm talking state pensions and teachers pensions, uh, cop pensions uh city worker pensions the guy that was a mechanic that fixed the buses for 40 50 years working for the city of uh, you know uh Sheboyganville etc right i i i think that you know every single one of those will be at risk as we go into decline and if you look at what happened in the soviet union i think this is a place we can draw a corollary a lot of those pensions didn't go away but they got drastically reduced or they froze And the amount that a person that was like a retired military officer that in the, you know, if they had retired 20 years earlier at the height of the Soviet Union would have a very good quality of life ended up being barely subsisting. So I I really, really think that if you have a, a government based pension, don't freak out, but have a plan B and you should have already had one. And I think that can have a cascading effect, too. When you start having a whole segment of society go from middle class to poverty, everybody else suffers too. And you're going to get, I think you'll see a rise of oligarchy. And I know that we are an oligarchy right now, a new oligarchy, a new regional oligarchy in the United States, a new separation between the haves and have nots, a whole new form of it as the empire falls. And I, I personally believe it's going to fall, the spread between wealth and poverty will increase and critical infrastructure will continue to crumble and far worse than it already is. Our infrastructure is in deep shit in this country. Roads, bridges, etc. For all of the talk of my roads, more roads, my roads, go talk to anybody that works in civil inspections for the roads and bridges in this country. And they'll tell you, you're you're better off not knowing what I know. I've heard from some of y'all that do the job. I've heard from some of y'all that said, well, it's not as bad as you're saying. And then I ask a couple questions and the response ends up being, well, in some places it is. But this is where we're at right now. I, I like analogies. I think it helps people understand things. So let's say you got a neighborhood and it was built at like all the like typical subdivision. It was all the houses were built 35 years ago. They're all starting to have shit go wrong at the same time. But if the people in that neighborhood have a reasonable income and they can't completely fix everything, they can patch things together. They get, okay, I can't do the siding this year, but I'll do the roofing work this year and I'll paint the freaking house next year to get the siding by for another couple of years. And then I'll put the siding on and the neighborhood starts to decline but it's propped up by a willingness of the residents to do what they can with what they have. That's our infrastructure. That's why we don't have a building falling down every day. That's why we don't have a bridge collapsing every day. But it's also why, you know, all the talk about the derailed train and the Brandon administration came out and said, what? About three trains a day derail in the United States. They weren't lying, folks. It's about 1,100 derailments a year. What? Did, I, did Jack say 1100 a year? Yeah. Fact check that shit. Blue checks. Go ahead. Fact check it. It's absolutely the case. About 1100 derailments in the United States of America a year in our rail system. Tell me that's not an indicator that we have a decline in our infrastructure. You know what they used to say about the Nazis in, 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 in Germany? Well, at least they kept the trains running on time. We can't keep the trains on the tracks. So what happens when there's a little hit to what is already damaged? You have an accelerated decline, and I think that is absolutely something we're going to deal with as well. So then I'm a solutions guy. Well, I don't have a solution to the decline of our empire. And if I did, I don't know if I would be inclined to help anybody with it. I think that our empire, our time has been, and it's not time for us to go away, but it is time for us to stop telling the rest of the world how to live and let the rest of the world solve their own problems and see to our own shit. I do have some thoughts on what we can do personally and individually by looking where's the opportunity here. I think one of the greatest opportunities in this is going to be food production and education for it. And I know we talk about that a lot because, well, if you don't eat, you die. And if you want to bring a nation to its knees, if you want to build, it, bring an enemy to their knees in warfare, cut off their food supply. If you can cut off food and water to your enemy, it is only a matter of time before they surrender. Period. Every single time that any enemy has successfully cut off the food supply of of their enemy, they have won in the end. Every time. Now, you might say, well, this happened and then these people fought back. Well, they didn't successfully do it. When you actually successfully cut off food, you win. And what this means is we will have both the enemy from without and the enemy from within to deal with. And so we need to make sure that you can't cut off our food supply because our food supply is here. And more and more people will, will snap to this, and they do it quickly. They do it quickly. And And here's what I mean by they do it quickly. Look what happened to the homesteading movement, the gardening movement, the backyard livestock movement when the whole pandemic hit. It had more growth than any time in my adult life. There's more people doing this now than ever. And it's because as soon as you poke them with the potential that you might not eat tomorrow, they say, well, I need to do something about this. See, this is the thing about humans. We're really good about ignoring problems that we think are 10 years away or even 10 months away. But when we see a problem imminently in our face, we're pretty quick to try to do something. It doesn't mean you always do it well. But when somebody is hit with the reality of I might not be able to feed my kids, they start thinking this way. And, And the reality is there is so much we can do. And people tend to do what they can with what they have. We can transform the suburbs and outer suburbs, especially where they're not directly under the impact area of these cities. And there can be food produced everywhere. And not everybody needs to do it. You know, if you can get one in five or even one in 10 homeowners running something akin to a small market garden, the amount of food we can produce is ridiculous. Especially if we're incorporating things like small livestock. And as we get further out, mid sized to large livestock like pork, like like lamb, like cattle, etc. cetera. There's so much we can do with this. There's no reason that we won't. And people are going to want to eat good quality food, especially the more the globalists do to force people to eat shit like impossible to believe beef burger, right? The more market there is for what people really want. So I think that's a marketplace. I think social enjoyment and entertainment One of the things that the Soviet Union did that no one talks about, because you can't say anything good about your enemy, because then you're a tool of Putin, or I guess at the time, you know, a tool of Stalin or Khrushchev or whatever, right? They were actually pretty decent at making sure that people that lived in these rural communities had a social life. They provided support to make that happen. So there would be a little a little place to go drink your vodka with your friends instead of drinking at home in the closet. Right. And a big part of what made the youth flee the rural countryside wasn't just that I can and I can go to a university or I can get a job or whatever. It was that that social structure, since it was propped up by the state and nothing was put in place to fix it last, i.e. the royal kid that says there's nothing to do here i'm going to go off and seek adventure somewhere else so i think that if you get into a place where people don't really want to go back into those areas at least a large portion don't creating opportunities for people whether it's you know little 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 concert venues or what anything that is really i'm not talking about like a zip line center or something though that might not be a terrible idea Things that are designed around the concept of socializing with each other, meeting places, et cetera, where there's something to do, but I get to go meet Garth here, who's in the, uh, the, uh, the, the chat, or I get to meet NT, or I get to meet Stan, or Mouse or One Step Closer, where we get to see each other. And meet. I think that the people that can build things like that, and I think they're going to be largely with a thumb of the nose to the state. Because the more there is collapse, the more things that you can't do without a permit right now, people are just going to do anyway. And, and local law enforcement is going to be like, you you guys aren't feeding my family. These people are go away. Now, don't think I'm saying that'll all be easy. I'm just saying that's where an opportunity is going to lie. And the more creative somebody gets at doing it, the more successful it will be in that situation. Uh, technology and automation. What would you do if you didn't have to do it? Most people aren't going to teach themselves how to program an Adreno or a Raspberry Pi. The people that can, there's going to be a lot of opportunity When, when you have an explosion in growing your own food, but people still have to see their lives. The more automation you can put into that, the better, right? There's going to be, I believe there's going to be a use for things like Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Maybe I don't know, or other cryptographic technologies. People are going to need people to help them with that. Even if it's not so much like services for hire, you guys know I've talked a lot about, you know, in my childhood, a guy named Buddy Shoemaker up the road from me. Uh, I would take grapes from my grandfather's vines up to him every year. He would give us half of the half of the wine from those grapes back and kept the other half. He didn't sell wine. I'm sure he did to some people, but mostly he gave wine away. But there was nothing that dude could have ever asked somebody to do that if the person couldn't do it, they would have said, "I know somebody who can." His social capital was through the roof. So some of the ways that you can be of service to your fellow man in this may be more about the growth of social capital and overall networking, local network effect, than it is about direct revenue. But I think technology automation, childhood education, I think that's going to look totally different post-Empire. Uh, the, one of the most bloated, sick, disgusting diseases created by our empire is the, is the United States government school system. They lie to you and call it a public school system. Albertsons is a grocery store for those that live where they don't exist. Albertsons or Publix or whatever, right? Those are public, right? Because the public can go there, right? They're privately held, but they're public spaces. Try to go to your kid's school without going through the rigmarole to get in the door and tell me it's a public location. Tell the tell the people that run your school, what I want to do I want to sit in the back of the classroom and I want to audit the performance of teachers for two weeks, different classroom every week. Well, your kids, oh, I don't have any kids. I just, I'm a taxpayer. I, I, I'm i a taxpayer. You guys take money from me every year, thousands of dollars. I want to, I want to see what I'm paying for here. I have no criminal record. You know, I'll go through your metal detector. If you have one of those, I just want to sit with my mouth shut and pay attention to how your teachers teach, see if they'll let you do it, and then tell me again with a straight face, it's public education because you're full of shit because it's not. And I think that's going to be a radical, radical transformation. And I think there will be opportunity in rebuilding the modern version of the one-room schoolhouse. Because if you think about it, I do have grandkids that we homeschool. But if I didn't, if I had no no connection to any child of school age at all, and there was a system that was designed to provide an education for children that I trusted, I'd chip in. I'd chip in. I'm completely anti-tax. Tax Tax is theft. That's the shirt I wore yesterday, right? But I would chip in. Because I know that my neighbor's kids being educated is good for me. That's the whole way we sold the whole idea to people in the first place. There will be opportunity. There will be co-ops that will make what's going on now look like a joke. But what we'll also have is modular education. We kind of already have that now. Like my, my, my grandkids, we, we, we supplement what we do with Excelus with like out school and they love it. Or my grandson was struggling with math. They teach math differently than when I was a kid. I was struggling with trying to teach him how to do it. And I didn't want to change the methodology so that when he goes to the next step, he can't do that. So we got him a tutor. One hour in a Zoom call with an individual, and he was rocking it again. Like There is so much opportunity like that, and we're going to get more and more opportunities like that. And then we're going to get more diversified with our education. And we're going to stop thinking that every kid needs to learn the same shit because they don't. You know, I struggle when my grandson will say something like with math, well, if you can't tell me how to do this, why why do I have to learn how to do it? I I can't look him in the face as his grandfather and honestly say, because you're going to use that in the future. Because I know a lot of it. He's not. The best truth I can give him is you don't know what you're going to want to do when you're 18, 19 years old and looking at potentially going to college, you might not, you might, but you don't want to close that door right now. That's the only honest explanation I can give him for why it's important. And because I said so, and you're going to do it, right? But I don't want to rely on that. But we may get into a future where as children, because he's like almost 12 now, right? We're getting to a point where like they, kids at a certain age start to take a direction of what they're looking for. And we can get more tailored to that, than than the the public system will ever do. And so I think that's tremendous opportunity going forward. Absolutely tremendous opportunity going forward. Um, Next, I think handyman type home maintenance services are going to be incredibly important. I think that's already one of the, if you are a handy person, if you're capable, if if you're the kind of person I can look at something that's broken and figure out how to fix it, And maybe you're not even the guy that can do like a full remodel or something, but you're the person that like what I was talking about earlier. Okay. What we really need to do is replace the whole roof, but I can get you by for three more years for a lot less money. So you can do this other important thing so that in three years, hopefully you'll be able to replace the roof. I think that's going to be a massive opportunity, massive opportunity, having the tools, the resources, and the knowledge. And one of the things about people like that, they get on lots of properties. They see lots of stuff that people have like don't really have a use for anymore. And so either they take it with them and stockpile it. They haul it away to the junkyard. I think that's going to get a lot less regular as supply chains get a little bit more crushed. Or they say, hey, I don't need that right now, but if you hang on to it, I might buy it from you in the future. There's a lot of opportunity because they know where resources are. So then they're able to figure out how to fix things. I'm going to tell you that almost every major job I've ever had done by a contractor, they were able to, if they were good, they were able to say, oh, and we could do this and I'll cut you a break because I have leftover material from the last job, that type of thing. And so I think that whole mindset is going to become really useful because we have a position where people are going to be rebuilding their lives and some of them will have more money than time while they're doing that. And some of them won't have time to learn a thing. They're only going to do once. You know, that's a big part of how I decide whether I'm going to hire somebody to do a thing or not. Number one, if it looks bad, will it make me miserable? Like if it's just not craftsman quality, right? uh, Then I'll probably hire somebody to do it. Number two, will I ever need to do this again? And the older I get, the more important that becomes to me. Like if I'm only ever going to do this once And I could be doing something that I'm going to learn a skill from, and I'm going to do it a hundred times across the rest of my life. I'm going to pay for the one I'm going to only do once, and I'm going to do the one and learn the one that I'm going to do a hundred times the rest of my life. So that creates another level of opportunity there. And then there's people that are just not capable. There's a whole lot of people out there. They just... Are not capable of doing some of these things. And maybe they could learn. I think anybody could learn, but they don't believe that they could learn. And if they have money, they'd rather pay for it, right? Uh, so, handyman services. And I'll ask you now, as I go on to my next segment, all caps, if you want me to come back to it, what can you think of? For those in the life, what do you think the opportunities will be going forward if we have a collapse of the American empire? We start seeing military bases in Europe and Asia. Close, You know, the, the military presence we have in Africa where you have a U.S. Africa command, which makes no sense at all. That starts to go away. Public schools start closing. Pensions start failing. More and more people bail out of the big cities and head to the outer suburbs and rural communities. What does that mean to you? What would you do? And you might want to think about this because it might be you that has to figure it out someday soon. What would you do? If you lost your source of income and you had to adapt to this new world, all caps, Mick, all caps, I caught that one, but it's harder when I'm by myself, Starred for future. What would you do? So throw it up there, all caps. If you don't do all caps, I'm probably not going to notice it, even though I did for one more person there. All right. Next. Next. Um, What does the economics and monetary policy look like in this? Like, what happens if the dollar loses global reserve status? What is the economics of the United States at that point? What do what does the U.S. do for its own currency system at that point? Right. Well, you want the honest answer? We don't know. We don't know what we'll do. There's people, you know, I'm a big Bitcoin proponent. I have that as one of the possibilities on my list here. But there's people like, oh, it'll all be Bitcoin. You don't know that. We'll all be using 1964 pre, you know, pre, pre-64 pre silver or whatever. You don't know that. You, you don't know. And I don't know. So let's start off with we don't know. We're, and that's everything I'm talking about today. We're only speculating and because it's never quite happened this way before, we can only learn so much. Wheat pennies, <laughs> wheat pennies. Uh, you might be using wheat grains, right? Uh, I will tell you, in Argentina, one of the people that I'm pretty good friends with uh, virtually is for Fernando Aguirre, and he said he watched people make deals on the street after the collapse in Argentina, where they put a uh, gold chain agreed on a certain number of lengths links. And the guy put a knife down and cut the chain and gave him the link plus the cut link and said, there you go. There's, there's your payment. But that was not sustainable. It didn't last. Right. So I do think that first thing will happen is attempt to dollarize the world long before the collapse long I, before the collapse. Cause long is long past, Right. Before the collapse, and I think this is the plan right now, I think in the crypto space, the United States government is about to lay the smack down on everything but Bitcoin. And I think the reason they're not going to lay the smack down on Bitcoin is because they like Bitcoin, Is because pick your battles. So they're going to lay the smack down on all of these cryptos that are basically securities that have been operating under the radar and outside of, of uh of regulation. And everyone they've gone after, they've been fairly successful going after. So that gives them more and more confidence they can do it. Well, you have these stable coins like Tether and USDC and all this other shit. And I said this before, I think what they'll try to do is pull that under FDIC. So that you have to have a certain amount of provable, auditable by the government backing. But then I think they'll kind of, Turn loose the banks with these stable coins. And the stable coins may end up being a backdoor to central bank digital currencies. So you have the stable coins being issued by the banks themselves. And then you have the central bank that has access to the data from all of the individual blockchains. And one of the reasons you leave Bitcoin in place in that scenario is it will still be the best way to move money. We'll get into that in a Bitcoin breakout episode, maybe next week or something. We won't get into that today. And so the hope will be that we can stave off some of the pain of inflation by spreading the new dollars out more all over the world, more than they already are. Because right now, if you gave people across the globe, a choice of holding their native currency or holding dollars, most would choose dollars if it was easy to do. And with stable coins, it pretty much is already. But if you normalize it and back it with something, maybe you get that to happen. So I think that that's their Band-Aid. That's their backdoor CBDC, auditable, backed by FDIC in some way, stable coins. That's their play. Whether it works or not, we'll have to wait and see um, I think you do see Bitcoin continuing to move forward and become a means of exchange and a store of value because it can't be cheated. And here's another analogy. It's going to sound absolutely crazy. It's why Vladimir Putin is popular, right? What? That's crazy talk. Well, think about the guy, the, the pre Putin, right? Guy was an alcoholic. He was out of shape. He was, A drunk, he was half asleep most of the time. Putin, for everything you can say negative about, the guy's in shape, especially for his age. The Russian people like that, right, because they feel they can't trust a drunken, out-of-shape slob. So when something fails people, they tend to look for something that they can trust more. And people, you can trust Bitcoin to do what Bitcoin does. It's actual price versus the dollar or any other global currency. You got to guess. It's an estimate, right? You could say the overall trend is, but you don't know. But I'll tell you right now, will Bitcoin keep doing what Bitcoin does? And will you, if you hold a Bitcoin or a million Satoshis or whatever, are you able to defend it? And the answer is yes. So I think the fact, and I don't want to turn this into a Bitcoin episode. So that's all we're going to say. But I think the fact that you can trust the truth that is Bitcoin will lead to its greater uh, utilization in these communities, especially with things like Fediments uh, and, and the Lightning Network. So Fediments, again, I don't want to get too much into it, but we are going to need something akin to a banking system. We can be your own bank. Shut up. There's a purpose to banks beyond hold on to my money so no one steals it. There's lending, there's intra-regional lending, right? There's there's and there's lending that's more of a commercial line of credit, right? There's there's all types of purposes that the banking system serves for having, let's say, two companies be able to do business on an extended line of credit in both directions would be an example, instead of direct debt. They're they're basically a third-party accounting between those corporations. And we're not going to see the end of all corporations. When the Soviet Union fell apart, we didn't see all the companies in the the Soviet Union disappear. So there's going to be something from that side of things, and we'll leave it for there. Um, Economies may be more localized for needs and rely on imports mostly for luxury. This isn't that far away. When I was a kid in PA... Pennsylvania for the uninitiated. Most of what we needed came from Schuylkill County. Most of what we needed came locally. We didn't shop at giant chain stores. We didn't have many. You know, you went down to the economy grocery store. There were two of them, right? Rosadvich's, I think was the name of the family that owned it. Right? So, Now, they were bringing food in from outside, but you were dealing with a local merchant. But most of the food we ate honestly came from local farmers. Like, our meat came from a guy named Artsy. His nickname, what my grandmother called him, was the butcher, right? He was really a meat cutter, not so much a butcher that slaughters animals and all. He had different local suppliers, and he drove around in a little truck, refrigeration unit in the back, And he brought meat right to our front door. We would buy ham and beef mostly from him. Then there was another guy that came around. He sold milk and eggs and stuff. I don't remember his real name, his proper name, but we called him the farmer. And so this is 1980s. This is not exactly a long time ago. And I think this is traditionally the way that most people lived in the world for most of the time you you the importation business is for trinkets and luxuries, right It's the little gizmo that does a gizmo thing that's just less expensive to make over here for now anyway. It's chocolate because you can't grow it here and it's delicious, so people will pay for it you know during you know not even that long a few thousand years ago it was salt and it was pepper. Coming across the you know the Silk Road, pepper was a luxury, right? Because it only grew over there and it was very hard to move. Today we can move pepper easily, right? It's it's a, it's 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 not anywhere near as much a luxury. Might it become one again? Might learning how to grow things that serve its purpose, might finding ursats be an opportunity in the future? What can we produce domestically that makes this thing that's a luxury? Less necessary, less less needed, or less wanted, or it really becomes a luxury. It's not something I have every day. It's like I use this ersatz five days a week, and on my weekends I can have this luxury. What does that? I don't know, but I think that's another one of those opportunities, right? It really is, and I think again this is how we lived in a lot of rural America for a very long time, and dare I say life was a little bit better. I hope that when I talk about how when I was a kid, we didn't have a lot of money and we used to go hunting and everybody got a deer tag. Everybody got a license. Even the ones that didn't hunt, you take a little sister, put her in the truck, let her sleep with her teddy bear, turn the heat on, leave it on idle. Everybody goes hunting. Brother, uncle, dad shoots a deer. Come on, honey, let's go get the deer. And I talk about that. I talk about gardening from a subsistence level that we did that because if we had a big garden. We ate really well. And we'd have to worry about it. I hope nobody looks at that and goes, man, Jack's Jack's saying his childhood really sucked. There were things that sucked about my childhood. It wasn't that. It wasn't that 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 is not when I say I had some shitty childhood experience. That was actually the best part of my childhood. There is a certain empowerment. When you're a 13, 14 year old kid. And you know that if you add a deer to the deep freezer that year, that the whole family is better for it. And then you go do it. And it's one of those things that people don't know that they like until they experience it. It's one of those things that people don't know empowers them until they feel the power from it. In one way it's like taking the anti-gun person to the gun range giving them a good safety class, teaching them what to do, letting them shoot a gun, teaching them how to clean the gun, put it away, be safe with the gun. And they feel like really empowered by that. And then all of a sudden you've created a new gun owner. Another analogy is my grandkids. They love those freaking tablets, man. They love watching YouTube and whatever. And some of it's a real blessing. They learn so much. And most of what they do, especially my my grandson as he's gotten older, is really I want to learn a thing. So I, I learn about it. And, you know, he's emulating me. When I want to learn, I go do too. But, you know, all of a sudden, they're coming in the door and going straight in, and, oh, oh, no, you didn't. So he got a job, and he goes through the door, out the back door to do the job. And the girl has, like, a job in the house, you know. I'm not going to just send her out 8 o'clock in the morning by herself to the back of the property yet. But even if they're not doing their job, like, They're not allowed to have that except for their schooling for certain times of the day. And when you do it, what do they do? Any of you with kids know what they do? They do what kids do really good. They brood. Mm Hmm. For about five minutes until they start acting like a kid. They have that you take the crutch away and they go do an actual kid thing versus sitting still staring. And all of a sudden they're having a fantastic time. They're, they're out, you know, hunting bugs or following the chickens around or she, my granddaughter's gotten to the point now she likes to build forts. She puts boxes up and puts it's basically an inside tent. She goes in there and hides and giggles and reads and stuff. They're all happy. I think a lot of what we're talking about today, people will view very derogatory until they experience it. When you when you grow anybody out there, just say me in the live stream. That maybe, like, for at least a part of your life, the idea of growing your own food just was foreign, and it seemed like a lot of work, and why would I do it, or some version of that. And then you did it, and not only did you get better quality food, but the empowerment from the entire thing radically transformed the way that you think about food and the way you think about your place in the world. How many of you have experienced that? I'm sure when the time lag comes through, we'll start seeing me, 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 me. And I think there's a lot of things that are going to go on like that. That is people begin to truly understand what it is to provide for yourself and your neighbor versus have your money taken to provide from for somebody 10 states away or 10 countries away that we will refine that empowerment. So I'm not saying all sunshine and roses. I'm just saying. I think that as this happens, as this happens, a significant portion of society will rediscover what it is to be human, and to rediscover the wisdom we lost in the last 50 years—not the last, you know, 200 years, just the last 50 years, the last 25, 30 years. It all cycles. It all comes back around, and starting to come in now. Me, you know, one after another. Me. Mick, me, I remember one Christmas, my wife asking, do we have enough eggs for Christmas breakfast? I thought and replied, I'm not sure, but I know we will have it by tomorrow morning. Yeah, because the birds are going to make them. It, it changes everything when you become your own supply line and you become a piece of a supply line between your neighbors and, and back and forth. Um, economies are going to become more localized. I think people will have to take greater responsibility. I don't think people will all of a sudden start taking greater responsibility because we'll just become responsible after being irresponsible for decades. I think that when you take away the thing that you relied on, you by necessity become responsible for it yourself or you do without. And I think we only do without things for a certain amount of time before we say, "Okay, I need to do a thing. Now, some people won't. Some people will end up sleeping under an overpass. Some people will end up living in a little closet, you know, new pod style room or something. But I think most people will will seek another way and they'll find it. But I have a bigger question. Nature abhors a vacuum. If you ask anybody in the world who's honest right now, what is the most powerful nation on this on the planet today? It's the United States. You can talk all you want about China and a rising tiger or Putin's trying to reconstitute the Soviet Union. But since World War II, there has been no one with more power in the world than the United States. All through the Cold War, most of it was bullshit so that you would do what you were told to do. The Soviets were never really a threat to the world, they just weren't. And not because they didn't want to, because they couldn't. It's no different today. We are the big dog the biggest swinging thing on the planet. But what happens when we're not? Will the rest of the world just sit oddly by without a juggernaut, without somebody or some group of somebody's existing as a global hegemony? And what role will we play in that world? Who will it be? Without us, is it China? That would be the, the bet that most people would make right now. China's got its problems though. China's knocking down buildings they built they couldn't put people in. You think we have a demographic bomb hitting with not reproducing enough? The one child policy in China has really run its course. And then you have modernization with people on top of it choosing to have less kids. Right? Stan says the WEF. I don't think that's a, an overstatement an attempt at a global oligarchy. This is what we need to start realizing. That's what the WEF is. It's a global cooperative oligarchy that doesn't really care about borders. It just uses whatever governments in place we will use that. Right? I don't know what the pushback is there. I know what our personal pushback is, but globally, they actually have a lot more um, flexibility in what they do Then let's say China, or what about the BRIC analysis, the uh, uh, BRIC alliance, Brazil, Russia, India, and China working together? Would Brazil turn on us? Well, it's not about turning on us. It's about, you know, having some place in, in a hierarchy in the world. I think one of the things that we don't get about the rise of the United States as a global empire is that nobody would have believed it. Nobody would have believed it 20 years before it happened. If you go back to 1925, the odds of the United States becoming a global empire were pretty low. And it was more likely then than just a few years earlier. If you go back to prior to World War I, honestly, the global stage never took America seriously as being a major power in the world. We were seen as a great place to go for opportunity what we were not seeing is the nation that would end up pulling the strings across the planet. So Christine says China a joke, maybe, but China has a lot of people and a lot of horsepower, but I don't, I don't think they are what fills the void. I think that telling you that it would is part of what usually to scare you. It may be Europe. It's got, the, they got their own problems. Though. What if it's nobody? what if it's contested does that itself lead to something akin to a world war three do we get involved at that point do we have wrong i don't know i'm not pretending to know i think you know maybe there will be your stance maybe a bunch of regional powers do we get something that looks like a global governance secession i don't know it's going to be interesting mexico grumpy green guy says mexico you know it sounds stupid, doesn't it? It it sounds stupid, doesn't it? I don't think I would put my money on it, but I'm not going to say it's impossible. I'm not going to say it's impossible. Because <laughs> the United States was looked at in 1900 a lot like Mexico is today in some ways. Third world country. Half the roads still aren't even paved, etc., and that's before we had cars. All right. I I want to just end with this. Just getting you to think about what you can do for yourself. Remember the tagline of the show, helping you live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Everything that we should be doing today in our own backyards, in our own lives, in our own resilient lifestyle design should say, I want the best plan that I can put together if what Jack's talking about today happens in my lifetime. I want the best plan of half of what Jack happens, says so, so is going to happen, happens in my lifetime. I want the best plan for my grandchildren, if I'm long dead when it really comes to fruition, but I've put things in place for them. And I want the best plan that if Jack's crazy, the empire's not falling apart, if a hundred years from now the United States is stronger than it ever was, this plan needs to be the best plan for my life. And so if you think about the areas that I said to focus on today, building up the ability for rural people to have entertainment venues and social venues compared to what we have today, um, food production, education, technology and automation, pantyman uh, services, and whatever you guys came up with. We'll go through your your comments here in a minute. There's a bunch of them there. Um, all of that works if I'm wrong about this, all of it works to some degree, if I'm right about it and all of it works in some middle ground. And this is, this is one of the things that I've always tried to differentiate myself from everybody else in this space. since I started, I'll never tell you unless I have a high degree of confidence in something, this is going to happen by this particular time. I don't know. The United States empire will collapse, period. I believe it will collapse in my lifetime. I believe I will see the end of U.S. hegemony on the global scale before I'm dead, assuming I don't die prematurely. But I believe that knowing and believing are not the same thing. I believe it. But when it comes to knowledge, I'm agnostic and I know I'm agnostic, meaning I do not possess the knowledge. So all I can do is build the most resiliency in my life as I can versus people that will tell you, Biden's going to introduce Biden bucks next month. It's the death of the dollar. Buy my special report. I'm not going to do that shit. I just had somebody who I actually respect come to me yesterday and want me to be part of something, selling you guys a whole big pile of freaking information from a bunch of people I don't know that's supposed to help you homestead better. I don't know you, and you're pitching me on money. No. I'm done. I'm out. I've always tried to differentiate myself that way. Whenever I speak to you, I'm speaking to you as an equal to you, not as a superior. I might have sources and all, but I don't have special knowledge that, you know, I hide from you. And I know this thing from my crystal ball over here. You just have to trust me. Like the sun's going to eat us or whatever. No, I don't sell fear. I teach empowerment. And in every stage of society, there's been people who have succeeded and done well for themselves. There's people that have succeeded while their entire world crumbled, crumbled around them. And they were people that had the courage to look forward, to assess the situation and do what they could with what they had. And so that's where I'm coming from. I hope, I hope after 15 years of that, it makes sense. Uh, One step closer said, we spent the last 20 years dismantling our cultural power with all the woke BS. I'm going to tell you, My view of the woke stuff is different, I think, than most people's. Not all, but most. Maybe not that much for this audience. Maybe this is a good Twitter poll. I think the woke ideology is being used as a psyop on a very easy-to-manipulate society at this point, at this stage. And that the people that are behind this macro movement, the total movement, of this collapse of U.S. empire, this change of the board, are behind it. And I think it is intentionally being used to destroy Western culture. I know that sounds tin hat conspiratorial, but I don't have a better explanation. I'm not saying the crazy person with 27 colors in their hair that thinks there's 87 genders on TikTok is a willful participant with the knowledge that that's what they're doing. I'm saying it's a Luminatus trilogy. All the opposing groups are actually being controlled by a few people at the top to the same end. And that end is the destruction of Western culture so that the, the, the Western society can be in their minds brought to heel. Even though they're part of it. Um, Christopher says the numbers in the military are horrible and the people we are getting in are weaker and weaker. Uh, He's a former first sergeant. Absolutely. And no one's telling me anything any different. And think of what they did during COVID. They got rid of old guard uh, NCOs and officers, some because they wouldn't take the shot. But I'm going to tell you, I know three officers who left service, three officers who left service because of the saber-rattling they did about we're going to go through all your social media and get rid of you if you're pro-Second Amendment, if you're pro-Republican, if you're pro-whatever we say is hate speech, if you're anti-LBGTQ, blah, 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 blah. Everybody forgot about it. Everybody forgot about it because that's what they do. They do a thing, and they eclipse it with the next thing, and then they eclipse it with the next thing. But they started purging the ranks of the old guard. The NCOs and officers that said, My job is to keep these boys they call men alive. They got rid of as many of them as they could. And now they're crying they can't get new people in the door. It's it's a part of what we're talking about today for sure. Uh K Bonk said Buckhead Buckhead might separate from Atlanta, standby. Yeah, they might. I think it's good for the people of Buckhead. I don't know that it really fits what we're talking about today, other than it's an underlying movement. But Buckhead is the is the the, the the expensive rich area of Atlanta that pays for all of Atlanta's bullshit and they're fed up with it and this is going to be interesting to see and I think it's supposed to be today is like a big day for this movement but the but this has happened in Georgia there's a process in Georgia for cityhood for a neighborhood or whatever to say we want to incorporate as our own city and either we don't have a city but we're, we're forming one or we're, we're leaving and it's done by vote. And it's not always succeeded, but the state has never denied any entity that's wanted to do it from voting on it before. And if they do it here, it'll be the first time it's ever been done. And it could have other consequences because when people try to follow the rules and they're like, "Okay, all we want is a vote. And if we get our vote and it doesn't pass, okay," and you shut it down before they get to follow the rules all the way through. Then they feel cheated. Then they get pissed. And sometimes when people get pissed enough, what comes next? Right? Hatred and anger leads to the dark side. It leads to death. So we'll see. Inability to keep the military at strength. Most of our guys I was in with got out ASAP over BS, me included. Yeah. Our military is at one of its weakest actual troop strengths in modern times. Uh, news that doesn't suck says Germany's use of the pipeline. I never thought the U.S. would find a way possible to drag them into fighting a world war on the, up, on the other side of us again with potentially within potentially a decade that took skill. Yeah. I believe the United States destroyed the Nordstrom pipeline. It was Russia's pipeline to Germany. Germany did not want it destroyed. Germany is a NATO ally. We destroyed the Nordstrom pipeline. And if you don't believe that, you need to turn your TV off for a couple of weeks and then common sense will rekindle in your brain, just like when I shut down my kids' tablets, my grandkids' tablets, and then common sense will tell you we did it. We took an act of war against the NATO ally while talking about how an ally in Ukraine was so important when Ukraine's not an ally. They're a nation we have friendly relationships with. An ally is a nation you have an agreement with as an ally. That's a formal alliance. Any of you that tell me that Ukraine is an ally, right? And you're cool Putin, you don't believe it. I want you to send me a link where I can read the agreement where we entered into an alliance with Ukraine. And if you get mad when I ask for that, it's cuz you know you don't have one. Chris says, how do you think those of us in the suburban urban rural fringe will fare? I hope well cuz that's where I am. I'm in the the urban rural fringe or suburban rural fringe. It's not that far to the city. I hope that I'm far enough out. I think that we might have a lot of opportunity there. And I think it's a matter of, are you far enough out that, that the act of coming to where you are for people that will steal and plunder puts them into a state of fear. I feel I'm far. I can't answer it for you. Um, and I don't think every city will burn. I don't think it will be, you know, the Black Lives Matter uh, protests everywhere, all the time, forever and ever. Um, I think it will be a time that we have to get through. And I think one of the things the United States is not really in touch with that many people around the world that have had to deal with strife and warfare at a level that we can't get our heads around, except for those of us that went to other places and saw it there is that in the middle of a war zone, life goes on. You'll see video sometimes and people will say stupid shit like the war is fake because like some lady will be pushing her cart home from the store while a bomb goes off in the background and she kind of looks back and just keeps going in the end, humans adapt, but that, that's a good thing and a bad thing, I guess, depending on what you're looking at and when uh, GMA Merkel says, I got kicked out and I did have a kid that said my being there intimidated the teacher. I'm not sure what that's about. I missed that one. So we'll just let that one go. Grumpy green guy says, an entire generation of children without state education will figure out in, interstellar space travel. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. See, I'm not willing to to completely crap on the entire system of education we have. I think that there are certain people who thrive in the environment that they've created and become like, let's say, exceptional engineers and things like that. But I don't think we need it for everybody. And I think having to pay for something for everyone that not everyone wants or needs is part of what's breaking the camel's back. It's part of that last straw. Personal defensive training, 229 Mix says, I think what he's talking about there is what opportunities are. I think, yes. Uh, Scott says building and training small, uh, small livestock tractors, right? I, I think, yeah, I think that's in the food production space, but I think that might be, uh, really a great way to capitalize on some of what's coming one way or the other. One step closer says people teaching people how to garden and how to budget. I think that would be great. I think one thing that I really got out. Uh, I can't think of it. Is it Elsie or Elise? The gal that I just had on from the Urban Harvest. Um, One of the things that really took away from that is, you know, she started this whole movement in her little area in Florida, teaching people how to garden, how to compost, how to save seeds and all. It's not so much what she's done with it as a business, which is great, and she's in a successful business, it's the community created around it at the local level. I think that's a big part of things like this, that it it creates and builds community. Scott says building and training small livestock tractors. I think I already had that one and I messed up. Uh, Swamp Butcher says private security. I think there'll be a big opportunity in private security. I think there'll be a huge opportunity in private security going forward. People are going to need it. Uh, remember the couple in St. Louis... During the Black Lives Matter protests that lived like in a really affluent suburb right near the urban area, which is kind of a mistake in my opinion, when the protesters came and they pointed guns at them and then they prosecuted these people for pointing guns at people that were threatening to burn down their house. Right. Those people, do you know, they tried to hire private security and nobody would do the job. That was their. They didn't want to do what they did. They couldn't get a private security company. Bill, Jack, I have some questions for the expert counsel. How do I get them to you? You send an email to me at jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com with TSPC expert, the subject line. You tell me who the question is for and you uh, give me your question in a single sentence and then you give me details, which is the same way it's always been. If you know about the expert counsel, it's hard to think that you didn't know that's how you did it. But there you go. Trial and error says barter, usable trades, and commodities. I think, you know, yeah, that's kind of a generic answer, but yeah. Wood gasifiers and generator repair may be really the case. You know that long after we had electricity as a thing in a grid in this country, a lot of rural America didn't have grid-based electric, but they had electric power. Farms used electricity to run pumps and things like that. They would pump water into a house and use gravity for bathing and stuff like that. Um, they had a lot of things that they used power for, and they ran a lot on generators and batteries. That could come back. Or at least, you know, the ability to do a thing is important, even if you don't end up having to do it, right? Uh, how about tiny house and land plots, like an RV park for tiny houses? Yeah. My neighbor that cleaned up the lot next to me that I wanted to buy, that the guy never came down at a price that made sense to me. They're about to put in six uh, RV stations and they're going to rent the space to people over the age of 55 with no kids. That's a, I mean that's an example. It's right there. I mean, right there for those watching the video can see me point. Um, I, I, where they're going to put those RVs. If you were a deer and I was hungry, that rifle right there could shoot you off my roof. That's how close that very thing is happening here. Um, Richard says, seal your Bic lighter in a food saver bag for long-term storage and barter. Okay. Uh, Maybe. Uh, Black Black Templar says, how can the local government stay solvent? I I think local governments can stay more solvent than state, county and, and federal governments in this scenario. People, believe it or not, in general, are okay paying for the services that they actually get to a large degree, even when they're not perfectly efficient, even when they're done by government. So I am more willing to pay the county who at least keeps the, the, the trees off our electrical and phone lines than I am willing to pay D.C., Who sends my money to Ukraine or does some other horrible thing with my money far away. That doesn't benefit me in any way. So I think local governments can survive through, dare I say it, anarcho governance. We're just not going to do this anymore, but we're going to see to our own shit. See, I don't actually think small scale local governance is outside the scope of anarchy. Because I can leave or not participate. I think it's when you start putting overriding governance over these local methods of governance that you get into an actual state. So that's just my thought on that. One step or closer says the void won't be filled. It will break down to regional conflicts like most of history. That's true. I'm not saying it's true what he's saying that it will. I'm saying that most of history is. There's not really empire, but we live in a world now where you can be across the entire planet in hours versus days or weeks or months. So I'm not sure that you could have a future without some form of a empire eventually again. Now, maybe you have what he's saying for a time and then you have the reconstitution of an empire down the road. That's that's probably likely. Bill Huston says the 100 year marathon explains a lot about China. I'm guessing that's a book that I'm not familiar with. Anyway, guys, hope you enjoyed today's show. I still think that we have time until we don't. And I still think that all the things that we talk about doing from a standpoint of lifestyle design, non burdleness resiliency, self-sufficiency, self-reliance, personal sovereignty, et cetera, make sense whether this is something that we see over the next 10 years or the next 100 I don't think that matters at all to learning to develop ourselves at a local level. In fact, I'll put it to you this way. If there is anything that can restore America, it's what I'm talking about. It's individual and regional autonomy. It's what made the country great in the first place. You know, the whole MAGA, make America great again. Ah! Trump, right? Like if you actually want to make America great again, rebuild rural America and not in some freaking bureaucrat's view, just what it used to be. People that got along with their neighbor, even if they disagreed politically, even if they voted differently. I grew up surrounded by old men, coal miners, carpenters, farmers, I was probably six years old the first time I sat at a bar. I mean a regular, like, I don't mean the bar at a restaurant. I mean a, a bar, a bar full of coal miners and farmers. Lazarshik's Cafe, a place that's probably about three times the size of my office, the whole thing. And I'd listen to these old men talk about all kinds of things. I listened to them argue. I think that's why I was ahead of my peers in a lot of ways, because I spent time with adults I heard them argue about a lot of shit, how shitty the Philadelphia Eagles were. That was a common topic, and somebody would get offended by it. You know, I heard them argue about a lot of stuff, almost not breathe a word about politics. And when they did, it had nothing to do with how anybody voted. It'd be something the city was going to do, little city of Minersville, and should they do it or not? And then, like, you'd get the discussion done, and then somebody would buy somebody a beer, and they'd go on and talk about, you know, what, what was going to happen to the price of coal and how that was going to affect people. And the two guys argued with each other. If one of them said that when we were leaving, hey, man, can you come over and help me this weekend? Sure. 1970s and 80s. It's not that long ago. If there is a way to cushion the blow of the collapse of the country, it's this. If there's a way to prevent it, it's this. And if there's a middle ground, the way through it is this. The restoration of community, local community, and the the, the secession of reliance upon things that you have now shown us through history, we cannot rely on long-term. The rebuilding of, of taking care of ourselves and the people closest to us. We'll either do it because we become wise enough to do it or we'll do it because the situation will force us to do it. I I, I prefer the first one, but I'm not going to bet on it. I'm just going to do it anyway. With that, if you guys enjoyed today's show and you want to help support us, remember you can always do that just by doing your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. Now, after all that talk about things that are needed versus things that are, uh, uh, you know, luxuries, this is kind of a luxury, but it's a cheap one, made by a company called Anchor, A N K E R. They are my favorite discount value electronics brand. I look at Anchor as a company that makes stuff as good or better than the big brand names and sells it for a fraction of the price. I say that after selling literally tens of thousands of items sold by Anchor. To all of you people, and when I sell Anchor, I never get anger. I never get anybody emailing me go, Jack, you stupid jerk. I bought this thing as a piece of crap, and they won't fix it. Uh, I've gotten occasional emails. I got a product from Anchor. It wasn't what I expected. They replaced it. It was broken on arrival or something. They always stand behind their shit, and that is something in 2023. Today, they have their uh, Soundcore Live P2 wireless earbuds on sale for like 32 but 3298. 20% off the retail price. These are every bit as good or better than Apple AirPods. They're also waterproof. Uh, they're awesome. I always say that I own the products. Let's, uh, let's drop that screen there. There they are right there. Let's just, I use these. The only reason I won't pull them out, they might jump on the freaking computer because I was using them the other day. I use these things. That you charge the case and you return the earbud to the case to charge the earbuds. I generally run one earbud at a time when I'm working, so I have situational awareness of what else is going on. But I love these things. And you know what? When you put one of these things in your ear, you don't look like you've done a, 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 a scene from something about Mary because they're not white. They're black. You guys know who you are. Wear those white AirPods in your videos. You don't look good. It's it's unbecoming a man. Don't do that. Anyway, with that, uh, if you want to help support us, yeah, you just do your online shopping at tspaz.com. And you can also consider becoming a member of the support brigade. Just go to the survival com, click on members or go slash members. And you can find out about all the great discounts you get. And I am working on a couple new discount vendors right now, waiting to hear back from two of them. Uh, So there's more always being added to that from a value stack. And I appreciate you guys tomorrow. Like I said, I've given the expert council a week off and I thought the pikers would get me material this week to help build the backlog I'm asking them for. But I'm glad I canceled it because I don't have enough material from the expert council to do a show tomorrow. The pikers are piking. If you have a question for those pikers, get it over to me. Like I said, jack at thesurvivalpodcast.com, TSPC expert in the subject line, and your question for the council. Please be bottom line up front with it so I know what you're asking. You know what you're asking. The expert knows what you're asking. And uh, we will return to expert council shows starting next Friday. Tomorrow, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. I have no idea. I'll figure something out. If you have a suggestion, you email it to me in, though I don't know, before close of business today, uh, I will consider it. Same email address, same procedure TSPC in the subject line. With that, I'll catch you tomorrow. Everybody have a great day. They're bringing you down Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around They said you should have a house via marriage